Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I think that one of the greatest things that uh, the experiences that I've ever had was to become a dad. Uh, honestly, I really love it. And, um, you know, I, I was there at uh, all three, when all three of my kids were born. Um, I just, I just love the experience. It's such a significant one. And uh, you guys would have learned this morning through what we've already done that the average age of a dad in Australia is 33 years old. Is that surprising? I don't know. But, you know, you think that when people get to, you know, their, their early 30s, They've got a little bit of a handle on how things work and how life works, you know, and, and, and maybe they feel a little bit more prepared. I, I speak to a lot of people that say they're waiting later in life. They feel a little bit more, maybe more prepared to be a dad. Well, let me just tell you, nothing prepares you for fatherhood, you know, and, and, and the lack of sleep and, and everything that comes with that beautiful thing that happens when you have a baby. And so no one can really prepare you for that. It's just something that you learn as you go and you just got to try to, you know, figure this, this whole thing out. Even, you know, I think about Ikea. We go into Ikea, they give you this desk that is impossible to assemble, but it comes with a manual. We should get one of those for kids. We don't have a manual for how to, how, how to you know, assemble children. Um, and, and yet it's such a big responsibility. Gosh, if we could just figure that out, we'd be early to every event that happens, you know, early to church, early to school, you know, as kids assemble. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. And so uh, it is one of the things that we have to figure out. Now, not every dad gets to figure this out. So a lot of dads, uh, we, we realize that, that some have had great success. Others have still been trying to figure it out. But we do not celebrate Father's Day because our dads are perfect. Amen? We don't celebrate Father's Day because our dads are perfect. We celebrate it because we want to we wanna honor our dads. And uh, this has been happening for a long time. I, I don't know if you know the, where the origin Father's Day came. I mean, the concept of honoring, you know, fathers has been around for a long time. But setting aside a day to do it actually started with the Coptic church in the 5th century. And then about a thousand years later in the 14th and 15th century, the Catholic church picked it up. And so they celebrated the influence that fathers have on our society. And they do, they have influence. Everyone has influence, but it, it starts to really paint a picture when you figure out that one-fifth, 20% of Australians are dads. 20% of Australians are dads. And so they are naturally going to have an influence in our culture and in our community. They're going to have an influence in our society. Now, sometimes that influence is good and it works well. And I hope that you've been the recipient of some great influential father figures in your life. But let's be honest, sometimes it, it, it's not always good. And some people have had some negative experiences. But we're not trying to figure out whether it's positive or negative. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that dads just have an influence. Now, the thing about influence is it just happens naturally. So whoever, whatever a person believes or whatever's going on inside of them, they just naturally begin to impart that and, and, and uh, push that influence into the culture, whether it's good or bad. Now, I've said this before, but if you've got the measles, you're not given mumps. You know, like whatever is going on in here is what you will give to other people. And I think that if you are a dad, especially, that it's important for you to recognize that because you'll give what you've got, not what you wish you had. 
sort of encapsulates the responsibility that you have as an influential person in the lives of so many people. Now, if you're here today and you're like, oh my gosh, look, I don't have kids. Great message for dads. No, 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 no. Because you got to understand that influence just works no matter who you are. So today, if you don't have children, how about you do this? Just take out the word kids and replace it with the word disciples. Because you should understand that, you know, as followers of Jesus, he has asked us to disciple nations. So spiritually, you're going to lead people. We've got dads here that are leading their family. We have spiritual dads that are leading their family. We just have people that are helping people that don't know Jesus, how to follow Jesus. And if you are here today and you are not a Jesus follower, I'm so glad that you are here as well because you're going to be able to listen in on the things that we think are super important. I'm going to start with step one. I think that, you know, before you start to influence people and be really intentional about that, the first step is you got to figure out what's happening in your inner world. This is so important because you're going to influence anyway, but if you take responsibility for it, you got to figure out what's going on in your inner world. You may not actually realize it today, but you have been created in the image of God. You are Imago Dei. You are body, soul, and spirit. So my body is the thing that I'm using right now to walk around. And then at the other end of that, you have a spirit inside of you that comes alive when God breathes on you and and calls it to life. And so your spirit comes to life. But between that, there's this thing called your soul. And what is that? Well, that's comprised of your, your will, your intellect, your emotion, and how you deal with all of those areas of your life will have a profound impact on the kind of influence that you bring into your home, the influence that you bring into your sporting clubs, the influence that you bring into your small group, the influence that you bring into any environment where you are, it it carries great weight. It's going to have a degree of impact. And so I think that what you've got to do when when you're figuring out what's happening in your inner world, here's a great place to start if you're like, yeah, I need to figure this out. You've got to work out what you value in life. What do you value? What's so important to you? And then you do something with those values as you begin to align your practical living with the things that you value most. Now, I say that and you think that seems so obvious, but what is shocking to me is how many people would find it so easy to have things that they say that they value and live in a completely different way. It's so important to align our lives practically with what we say is important. As you start to read the scriptures, you're going to find things in here that begin to become really important to you. So what do you do if you're you're a follower of Jesus? You begin to align your life with what these words say in, in the Bible. Why? Because you value what it says. And as we see these values begin to work their way from the inside out, which by the way, is how it always happens. Please don't start to work from the outside in. That would not work very well for you. You need to work from the inside out. And, and, and what you begin to see is you see people start to make decisions in life, put boundaries in place. And you pay attention to those boundaries. You see those things in people's lives which communicates to you what's so important to them. We have this thing that's happening right now in this room today. I don't know if you were aware of it. It's called osmosis. It's happening right now in your homes when you go home today. Some of you are going to go out for lunch. Osmosis is going to happen right now in the kids' rooms. Osmosis is happening. Osmosis is this word that means the unconscious assimilation of thoughts and ideas. And so my point is, is that 
as we begin to shift and change a, a, a culture and influence a household or influence a small group, it's good, that, that, that environment is going to start to communicate thoughts and ideas that people will just begin to pick up. I think that so often this is how kids begin to learn. And it's so helpful to be aware of it for some of the practical decisions that you make in life. I'll give you one right now. I wake up, um, you know, a couple mornings a week and take my kids to school. And the road that we take, there is this turning lane on, on this part of Marunda Highway. Now, I don't know who's in charge of infrastructure, but they got it wrong. They got the length of this thing wrong. Like, I mean, this thing should be at least three times bigger. It needs to go all the way back so that cars can get in. And I'm a kind of a patient person. But have you ever been in a situation where you are just one car short of a completely free turning lane? And you're looking at the lane and you know that it's about to get an arrow, but you're going to have to wait for a full cycle just to be able to turn. I'm telling you, that kind of thing drives me crazy. And so I sit there and I'm looking at it, right? And I think to myself, I know what I could do. I just need to mount that gutter. I've got a nature strip that's a median strip that's about three cars wide. Sure, there's a couple of signs on it, but we could drive around them. And, and, I, and I look at it, and it's, it's not even one of those gutters where it's got a big, sharp edge like at 90 degrees. It's a slow, gradual gutter as if inviting me to make this decision. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you see it and I think, this is it, I should do it. Every, I'm not kidding. This happens nearly every single day. And every single day, I use what we call self-control people. And I look at it and I think, I'm not going to make that decision. I'm not driving down the grass and turning on. And I'll tell you why, because I've got three little munchkins in the back that are watching everything that I do. And the only thing that stops me from wanting to drive down the grass and get into that turning lane is because I realize how inconsistent it seems to be when I say, guys, it's important to obey the laws and the government and then go ahead and just change it for whatever is most important to me. I, I want them to realize that we, we need to obey the law all of the time and not just when you feel like it. See, behavior is more caught than taught. And you could teach somebody something and behave in a completely different way. And if you want to know what carries more influence, it'll be the way that you behave. When you're trying to figure out how somebody, what somebody values, don't just ask them what's important to them. Look at their life. And as you begin to look at their life, their real values will begin to emerge. You'll start to see what's really important to them. And I think that if you're going to you know, be smart and understand, especially if you're here today and you're a dad and you realize the influence that you carry inside of the home, you've got to take responsibility for that because kids won't do what you say. They'll do what you do. So you do what you want them to do. Does that make sense this morning? Life should be a reflection of what we believe, but it doesn't always work that way. And so things begin to emerge, patterns in our lives. There's, you might call that pattern a culture. Yeah, everyone's a, a, aware of it. You have a culture inside your home, don't you? A, a, a way that you behave, a way that you're used to things working. And culture sometimes happens by what we embrace, you know? So the things that are super important to us, but culture isn't just established by what you embrace. It's also established by what you allow. And sometimes we allow things in our lives that sit so far outside of our values. 
It's not just what we embrace. It's what we just let go. It's what we just leave to be. And as you just let more stuff begin to stay existent in your home, it does start to create a culture that you need to own. And and it matters when you're raising kids. And you know what? It's not just kids. It matters when you're raising disciples or followers of Jesus. If you're in charge of a small group today, you're in charge of people that you're trying to lead towards Jesus, exactly the same principles apply. You know, because you, you can't behave in one way and say, hey, you shouldn't behave that way. Do as I say, but not as I do. It just doesn't seem to work that way. And we're trying to figure out sometimes what's the things that we should allow. What should we allow? I mean, I mean, as a dad, you know, no one fully prepares you for this. So there's things that you need to just figure out as you go. I was having a conversation with a dad not too long ago. And he said to me, so uh, what do you let your kids watch on TV? And I'm like, I let them watch all kinds of stuff. Like, what do you let them watch on TV? He says, well, we let them watch movies. I'm like, yeah, us too. We do movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of movies would you let your boys watch? I'm like, oh, you know, like maybe something with a little bit of action. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We totally do action. We do action. Why? How much action is too much action? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Now, I know that, it, that all the ratings for movies come out with M15 and PG. Okay, you should know that men, we pay no attention to that. <laughs> We don't care what that says. We, we'll figure this out on our own. We don't pay it. It's a suggestion, a polite suggestion. And so we're trying to figure out, hey, hey, you know, because they always want to push the boundaries. And I'm like, what boundary is too far? And, and I said, well, we wouldn't let them watch a war movie. And he's like, yeah, and us either. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we would let them watch Infinity War. And they're like, yep, we're the same. We're okay with fantasy violence. I'm like, oh, totally, us too. And we're trying to, I just wanted to know if he felt the same way before I was going to be honest about what I really let my kids watch. And, and so we're trying to figure this thing out. You know, it was so much easier for Hebrew dads because Hebrew dads, they would have, they had six things that they needed to do as parents. And for us, I, I, I think that we could learn something from this because the six responsibilities that Hebrews, Hebrew dads had are the same six responsibilities that we have as parents and as influencers inside of our homes. And all I want to do for the rest of today is just tell you what those six things were. They came in two groups of three. One was spiritual and the other group is practical or, or physical. The first thing, the first responsibility of fathers officially for their sons was circumcision. I promise I don't keep trying to find a way to work this into my message. It's just there. And I thought, I started to think about this, you know. And I was thinking like, you know, these dads have a responsibility to do this. And really, it's not something that you can really practice at. It's like the first time you do it, it, it happens live. And if I was a mum looking at my husband, who's going to perform a very important surgical procedure on our son, I'd be looking at them for some skills, you know. Like you might see your husband in the back chopping down a tree. And you're like, well, I don't know how many of those skills are transferable to the surgical procedure that's about to happen next. So you'd see them doing that and maybe chopping up logs in the, in the backyard. But this, this is so much more important. You'd be like, hey, I've seen you cut down a tree, but this, 
you know, you, you, you need to start preparing for this. How about you do this? How about we start you on carrots? And, you know, if your culinary skills are up to, the, up, up, up to it, then maybe we'll graduate you from, from carrots to beans. And once you master beans, we'll give you a shot at your son, you know, because if there's one thing that you don't want to make a mistake with, it's, it's doing this procedure. And so the, the dads would get involved and they would circumcise their sons. And you're listening to this thinking, oh, thank God we don't need to do this anymore as fathers. And I'm excited about this too. But what has that got to do with parents today? Like how, how does that make a difference? Well, let me tell you, you know what the dads were really doing when they circumcised their son is they were helping their children enter into a covenant relationship with God. Circumcision is all about covenant. If you don't know what covenant is, it's an agreement between God and people. And all of our relationships with God, everyone on the planet, we, we all come to God through covenant relationship. And in the Old Testament, you would enter into a covenant relationship with God through the spilling of blood, hence circumcision. But in the New Testament, we see something completely different. We see that Christ has spilled His blood when He died on the cross for our sins. If you have a Bible and you open up your Bible, in the middle, there is a couple of pages, just blank pages that separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. The word testament means covenant. So we separate the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. And the thing that separates that is Jesus. And so we still want to help our kids enter into a covenant of grace with Jesus. That means we've got to understand some spiritual things and some spiritual truths. We've got to begin to set the tone in the home for how things should happen, spiritually speaking. You know, if you read Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, it says, If it is evil in the eyes, in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve whether the gods of your fathers in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think it's so important that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you use that influence, especially in the home, to say, I don't care what other people do and I don't care what other people say. And we are moving into a culture where the temperature is beginning to be turned up when it comes to spiritual things. And what we need is people of integrity. I'm not just talking about dads anymore. I'm talking about those that disciple others that say, we don't care what they say or what's acceptable about he, uh, over there. We know who we are. We know who we serve. And this is the way that we're going to do life. And we need that in the home. It doesn't come as a surprise to you that the two biggest influences in the home or, or just for people in general, outside of God who moves sovereignly is a mom and a dad. In fact, 59% of Christian adults say that their faith came to them because of how their parents handed it down to them. Let me explain that for just a minute. I hope you understand that what I'm not saying is that you can hand your faith to someone else. I've met people that have asked that, you know, I, I think I'm Catholic. I think I'm Christian. I mean, if, you say, if you're saying the kind of thing where you think you're something, you're not. Because if you were, you'd just know. I had a lady at my workplace one time that said to me, hey, you go to Bible college? I said, yeah. She said, could you pray for my daughter and make her Catholic so I can get her into Catholic school? I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't even know how this works. 
I can't hand my faith, but you know what I can do? I can model my faith. I can teach my kids. I can help them to understand who God is. And so parents, influencers, followers of Jesus that have determined that they want to be disciples of other people, you need to understand this thing called influence. The first thing they would do is circumcise their kids. The second thing that they would do is they would be involved in a ceremony. The ceremonial redemption of the firstborn. If you don't know what that means, under the old covenant, every living creature that opened the womb would belong to the Lord. And as Hebrew parents, as a dad, you would be able to buy back your son because they belong to the Lord or your daughter because they belonged to the Lord. And so you would redeem your child at a cost. That redemption came at a cost. It came at the cost of five coins that you would give to the priest. And then you had ceremonially have your son or your daughter restored to you. The word um, redemption or redeem in the original language actually means to restore something to its originally designed and created purpose. And I I love this because what they're essentially saying is we see so much value in this child that we want to We want to redeem them at a cost to us because we see great value in them. If you think, what has that got to do with anything today? This was simply what we would call a foreshadow. It's a pattern of things that we see in the Bible to help us understand something later that God was going to do. And if you haven't been able to figure this out yet, Every single person that doesn't know God or doesn't have a relationship with God has to be redeemed because you can't earn your redemption on your own. It's not something that you get to earn. It's not something that you can earn. So it has to be bought and paid for you. And if you don't, haven't figured this part out yet, your redemption was bought at the price of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. And so God paid to redeem you so that you could be restored to your originally designed, intended, and created purpose. You know what I love so much about this? Is that it says that the Father believes that you were worth redeeming. The Father believes that you were worth restoring. Hebrew dads looked at their children and said, this is worth redeeming and restoring. And so they would... They, because they see great value, not just value, but they, they look into the future of who their kids could be. And they said, God has a plan here for this child's life. I'm going to redeem this child. And then we're going to see that plan begin to emerge. I, I wonder what you see in your kids as God might see in you. Do you see great things in your kids? Do you see great things in the disciples that you're leading? Do you call it out and begin to prophesy and begin to speak? You know, Jewish communities and families, they still do this. When they have a a son that's born, they say, ah, my son, the doctor, or my son, the priest, or, you know, they, they call out what they see. Do you call out what you see in your kids? Do your kids know how much value you place, not only in them, but in everything that God wants to do in them? So you begin to call it out. What do you see? Sometimes you don't just call it out. Hey, dads, spiritual dads, Disciples of Jesus, sometimes you've got to fight for what you see in other people. Sometimes you've got to understand there's going to be moments where the people that you're trying to lead, whether they be kids in your home or people that you're just trying to lead, that they start to go off track. And if they begin to go off track, are you going to fight for that spiritually so the thing that God showed you about them would begin to come to fruition in their life? 
Hebrew fathers would fight for what they see in their kids. They'd redeem their kids. Number three, Hebrew fathers would educate their kids in the Torah. They'd educate them. Yep. That's not mum's job. It wasn't mum's job to do all the spiritual stuff. Dads, there are some things that you're not supposed to delegate. There are some things that you're not supposed to give away. You know, it's amazing to me. I, I speak to dads and I, I'm sure that I'm globalizing here, but, but you know, I speak to a lot of men who say, I just don't like to read. Or how are you going to teach your kids about God if you don't start to get some personal revelation for who God is for yourself? You can't live vicariously through everything that a preacher says or a podcast mentions to you and say it was good for them, it's good for me. There's got to be some personal revelation that you get in there in yourself. And, and I think it would be a universally understood principle that you can't teach what you don't know. So how is your spiritual growth going? If you decide to never open your Bible or never read, what's your plan for becoming a more spiritually mature person outside of, of, of reading the Bible? What, what's your plan for that? Because I'm telling you, this was a responsibility of Hebrew dads to learn what God's Word says and began to teach it to their kids. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says. In verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your, uh, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It goes on to say, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as uh, frontlets between your eyes. In other words, what they're saying is, learn what this thing says and then begin to teach it to your kids. You got me so far? Are you with me so far? You understand that? Good, because the next point is really important and I really want you to catch this. What I'm talking about today is not the transference of information in this book from the pages just simply to their ears. They could probably read it for themselves. If once they get old enough, I'm not just talking about taking the words that are in here and opening it and saying, hey, this is what Lamentations chapter 5 says. When was the last time you read that, by the way? Lamentations chapter 5. This is what it says. And, and, and then just telling them the words. You, do you know what kids want? They don't just want the transference of information. What they want is impartation. That's what we call influence. It's when you begin to impart something into your kids that you have because it's personal revelation. And it wouldn't matter if you're raising kids or you're raising disciples. You know what they want to hear? They want to hear your stories. They want to hear what God did in you. What was the story of when you gave your life to Jesus and what did it, what did it feel like? And, and, and dad, what moved you? And, and, and dad, how did it work? And where, where have you seen God move in your life, dad? And if you're here today and you're like, oh my gosh, I look back at my life and I, I don't even know if I've got any of those stories. Well, you're still alive, everybody. So there's plenty of time for that. 
You got time to get some good stories and begin to impart what you've learned through your experience and the Word of God and begin to impart it into your kids so they are encouraged to do what they see you do. Dad, how do I pray? Dad, how do I handle this situation? Dad, how, how, do, I, how, do, I, how do I know when God is speaking to me? Dad how, do you know, how do, Dad, how do you know when God is speaking to you? Dad, when was the last time that God spoke to you? And when He spoke, what did His voice sound like? And, and was it big and demonstrative or, or was it quiet? Was it, was it a whisper? And you heard the whisper. And how did you know it was Him and not just your own voice and not just your own head? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? You have to be a spiritually mature person to begin to understand the things that I'm talking about, but you won't have a hope of imparting it unless you first don't have a plan of growth for yourself and some experiences as you grow along the way. Dad, Dad, how do I move in the Spirit? Dad, how, how, how do I know that God is asking me to reach out and pray for someone to be healed? Dad, how do I move in the gifts? See, I love church. I'm so glad that you're here. But we don't delegate all of this stuff to whoever's holding the microphone on Sunday. This is meant to happen in our homes where we teach it to our kids. That's what I call an impartation. There's meant to be spiritual maturity in the house. And some of you, if, you, if you're here today and you're feeling guilty and you think, oh my gosh, this is not where I'm at. You've still got time. It's not over yet. It's still being written. So make a plan today. Start to grow. Start to learn. All right. The fourth thing that Hebrew dads would do is they would help their sons find a wife. Now, yeah, see, this is the thing, Vin. You understand this. See, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, Vin, I wanted to choose a wife for myself. But now you have kids and you think I'd might be much better at choosing their partner. Are there any parents here today that think, I would love to bring back arranged marriages, you know? I would just love, I mean, I feel like ever since 2009 with the birth of my son, there's something about that year that coincided with the return of arranged marriages, you know? I mean, guys, why do you think I started a kids ministry? It's so I can eye off your children and decide which ones are suitors for mine. That's why we started it. It's not true. If you're new today, that really wasn't true. It's a joke. We want to develop them spiritually. We do want them to know who God is. But, and so we don't, okay, so fine. We don't actually arrange marriages for our kids anymore. Not that they know about, but we don't arrange that stuff. But you know what we can do? We can teach them how to be in a good relationship. We can teach them how to be in a healthy relationship. Some of you have gone through divorce and tough stuff. You probably have more to teach than the people that have succeeded all the time. You know where the train went off track. You know what you needed to do to recover from that point. Anybody that's had an argument or a tough marriage, you've got some experience there from which you could impart into your kids. So you don't have to be perfect to begin to help somebody that's wanting to grow and develop. We can show them about how to do love. What that? How do I know when I love somebody? Dad, how, how, how do I know when I can really trust them? 
How do I know when my trust has been thoroughly broken and I shouldn't give them any more room in my life? Dad, how do I put up boundaries around my life and and make sure I've got boundaries in place that we never in our dating relationship ever cross so that I wouldn't be filled with guilt and shame and be moved from the presence of God? Dad, how do I do this successfully? Dad, I'd love to know how do I forgive someone when they've hurt me? How do we do forgiveness? If you want to teach forgiveness, some of you some of you have been in a position where you've been hurt and if you can learn to forgive, that's a great skill to impart into your kids. How do we do relationships? They teach them how to do relationships. Number five, they teach them how to swim. I thought, that's weird. They teach them how to swim. I send three of my kids to a swim school. Man, that's expensive. I, thought, I looked at this, I thought, this is just what we call Jewish stewardship. They're like, I'm not paying someone else to do it. I'll teach them how to swim. I, I, know, how to, I know how to do this. I'm not paying anyone else. Like, yeah, get in the pool. We'll show you how to do it. You know, I, I thought, what's that about? You know what? Swimming is about survival. They would teach their kids that life is sacred and you do everything that you can to preserve it and keep it safe. They teach them how to survive, resource them with tools and skills and abilities for how to survive in this world. You know, back then the Hebrew people, as they'd move around, sometimes they'd have to cross great rivers and if they didn't teach their kids how to swim, their kids would drown. So they said, I'm going to start to prepare you right now and and train you for survival. I look at the world that our kids are growing up in. We have to teach them how to survive. Yeah, it's changing. The world we live in is changing. It's looking different. We've got to teach them how to navigate the seasons, the difficulties. The tough stuff. Can I tell you this right now? There's going to be so many situations that your kids, that new believers, there's going to be so many situations that they are thrown into. And you know what it'll be? It'll be sink or swim. So knowing that that's what's coming up, we start to prepare now by training them how to survive now, how to get through it now. What do I do in this situation, Dad? This is how you handle it. This is what you do. I, I had a situation a couple of years ago where one of my kids was being just a little bit bullied at school. And the school was great and all the rest of it, but come on, they can't be everywhere at once, you know? And so my son was like, Dad, this is happening. He's a little bit older. And I'm kind of a, I'm a good-natured person until my kids get bullied. And, and, and so I'm a little bit protective and I thought... I, there's how I'm feeling and then there's the maturity and wisdom of how I'm teaching him and I'm not going to teach him to do what I feel because he's going to get in trouble for that but I'm going to teach him how to survive so I said well son this is the first thing you got to do if you're in a situation where you feel like you're starting to get bullied I said just back off just get out of there just walk away and 
have nothing to do with it. And he said, Dad, that, that could work. And I said, yeah, simple. What if they follow me? I said, well, son, if that's what happens to you, then the next thing that you do, you gotta, you got to go find a teacher and explain the situation. Always go to a teacher at, at, at all points. If you can, go see a teacher and you let them handle it and you let them take care of it. And he's like, I will, I will, Dad, I will. But uh, Dad, what if I can't see a teacher? Now, this next piece of advice that I gave to him might cause some of you to want to email me, but don't. I'm not reading it. I know where to file it. So I said to my son, if you're in that situation, son, you do everything you can to win that fight. And if there is a problem, I'll speak to the teachers. And if they don't like the way you handled it, I'll take it up with them. But you're not going to be some punching bag for some kid who's got problems, you know? And I said that to him. Why? Because I want my son to survive. I'm trying to teach him, hey, do everything that you can. But when your back's against the wall and there's nothing you can do, what are you going to do? Do you know how many times your kids are going to have their backs against the wall and they're not going to know what to do? And they're going to say, I don't know how to handle this situation. Have you taught them the power of prayer? Have you taught them, hey, Hey, pray into the situation. This is how you handle things when they seem like they're out of control. We see an incredible rise in the anxiousness of children today like never before. And I'll tell you something right now. I hope that the reason that we're not seeing a rise in anxiousness is because they've caught it via osmosis. How can you live with peace inside your heart when things are way beyond your control? Son, let me show you how to pray. Let me show you how to trust. Not everything is gonna go the way that you want it to go, but in the middle of all of that, I'm gonna show you how to hold on to God. I'm gonna show you how to lean on His promises. I'm gonna show you what to do when your back's against the wall. And if you feel like there's nothing else you can do, here's what you do next. So you, you teach your kids how to survive. Number six, they teach them about how to have a livelihood, how to have a trade, you know, and boy, it would be such a privilege if I could teach my trade to my kids. I would love for them to want to do that, you know, but we don't do that all the time. Here's what we do do. We prepare them. We train them about how to be responsible with what's been placed in their hands, how to set your alarm and get up for work every single day and not call in sick every second day because things haven't quite worked out the way that you've wanted them to do. You know, one of the things that we do in, in my home and, and everyone's in a different circumstance and situation here and I get it, but let me just tell you a little thing that we do. I, I give my kids pocket money. And if they want to buy something, they save for it. That's how we do it. Because I don't want them to think that everything that they want, they just get it given. I was in a shop yesterday and my kids, I realize as I say this, I'm projecting today because no one is going to know what this experience is like. But when my kids get into stores, they just want stuff. I know none of you have ever experienced that. You don't know what this feels like. I know it's just me. I'm just all alone here, right? But we get into any store. Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that, right? So my kids, they came to me, one of my kids, and they came and they said, Dad, I really want this thing. Could you buy it? And then the store person overhears her say that. She walks over to me and she says to me, you know, you should buy that because it's half price today. And I looked at her and I, and I said, in the presence of my kids and all the other parents that were there in the store, I said, lady, it's not about the price. I don't care about the money. 
I said, I can buy that easily. What I'm trying to teach my kids is responsibility. When they want something, I don't just give it to them. I'm teaching them how to save. I just want, I don't want to give them hand-me-outs all of the time so they never learn how to be responsible with what's been given to them. The lady looked at me, she's like, okay, that's fine. I was just telling you, it's not special, you know? And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, she's never going to do that again, is she? Teach them how to be responsible. Teach them how to handle things that have been given to them. You know, I know that when I when I speak on Father's Day, some of you have had the greatest experiences and some of you haven't. That's just a testament to the fact that dads have influence, people have influence in your life. But what are you going to do with all the experiences that you've got? Some of you have succeeded. You've done so well. You've learned so many things. You've learned how to. Some of you have had had terrible situations come into your life and and you've learned how not to. But the, the trick is, is to take all of those experiences, everything that you've learned, every ounce of wisdom, and, and, and begin to help the next generation that's coming after us. You, some of you have fought some serious battles so that your kids never have to. You're not doomed to repeat everything that you've experienced. It happened to you. It doesn't have to happen to them. You know what I really think? I really think what we want to do is we want to do everything that we can in our generation so that the ceiling, the absolute limit of what we could do in our time simply becomes the floor for the next generation. And I I never, ever, ever get disappointed when I see young people succeeding and thriving and growing and developing. I hope I produce preachers that are so much better than me. And when they are, that's my win. When we produce disciples who accomplish more and make bigger change, when you when you raise kids that earn greater income than you and they see more of the successful than you, that's your win. That's how you know that you did great as an influencer, as a leader, because they are succeeding in life. You know what I think parents were supposed to do? We're supposed to clear the way. Clear the path, make it easy so that they can begin to run the race that God has called them to. You know what Billy Graham said? He said, the greatest thing that you can ever impart to the next generation is faith and character. It's a passing of the torch from one generation to the next. This is how you live. This is how you wait. We've got to learn how to do that sometimes. We want to raise a a generation of intercessors in a generation that loves microwaves. Jesus doesn't love microwaves. He he loves crockpots. It's a slow sometimes. We don't like waiting. We gotta gotta train people. How how do I wait on the presence of the Lord and not get bored and see what's coming next? How how do I wait? You know, we we gotta do everything we can to do it. There's a great story about a, a man named Bill Havens in 1924, he was a canoeist and he was brilliant, better than any other canoeist. And he was entered into the Olympic Games and was absolutely going to win first place. He was married, his wife was pregnant the day of his race. 
his wife goes into labor. The Olympic community and even his wife said, I can't believe this is so disappointing that he's not going to be able to be at the birth of his son. And he surprised the Olympic community and even his own wife by pulling out of the race. He was assured of winning gold in to go be at the birth of his son. And people said, hey, why are you doing this? He said, this is the most important event for me to be at today. And he had a little boy that was born that day. His name was Frank. And he loved Frank. And so he missed out on gold. And as disappointing as that was for him, he never regretted the decision that he made. In fact, he poured his life into Frank. He taught him everything he knew. He taught him how to survive. He taught him how to live. He taught him how to make decisions. And he taught him how to be a great canoeist. And then in 1952, some nearly 28 years later, he was his son Frank actually went to the Olympics. He had qualified to race. And he raced in that canoeist race, was 10,000 meters. And he won first place, he got, he got gold. His, his dad never got it, but he did everything he could to clear the way so that his son could succeed. And after his son won gold, he actually sent a telegram to his dad. This is what it said, it said, Dear Dad, thanks for waiting around for me to be born in 1924, but I'm coming home with the gold medal that you so much desire. And the reason why he got that is because his father gave him everything he had so that he could go on and be successful. I think that there is no greater privilege than to do everything that we can to invest, to impart, to develop, to train, to lead, to teach so that the next generation is strong. We're going to need strong churches around in a hundred years from now. It comes because we've learned how to pass the torch from one generation to the next. You get me? Here's what I want to do. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.